0: This week on the Boag World Show, we look at our moral obligations and how to help clients embrace agile. This week's show is sponsored by Videoblocks and Vivaldi. Boag will Show, the podcast about all aspects of digital design, development and strategy. My name is Paul Boag and joining us on this week's show is Andy Clark, Rachel Andrew, Sam Barnes and Lee Howells. Happy Christmas everybody. Ho, ho, ho. (laughs) Happy Christmas. (laughs) It doesn't feel quite like Christmas yet because we're recording this on the 5th, but it's not going to go out for another week and a bit. So then it's looking a bit more acceptable.
1: Yeah, well, I'm I'm in Vancouver where it's snowing, lovely fluffy snowflakes and oh. things. So it feels very Christmassy here. Oh, I envy
2: you. I'm dreaming of <laughs> <white> <laughs> Has anybody
0: put up their Christmas tree yet?
2: Just
1: like the ones no, I, I, I in used Vancouver. to
0: know. Oh, yeah, that would be difficult, Rachel. I Don't like taking
1: them on planes <laughs> with your night, you and know? that. A...
0: I love the way that we're all just ignoring and the fact that Andy's singing. Best, best way, it? I think. <laughs> I, what I'm interested in is how my wife is going to transcribe this.
2: this because,
0: because there's going to be Andy singing in the background and us talking over the top. Andy, have you put up your Christmas tree?
2: No. No? No, we haven't got a Christmas tree yet. No. I, I'm not, you see, I'm a bit of a Grinch. To be honest. <laughs> when yeah. it comes to Christmas. is that? Well, I don't know. I never read. Really, I was never really a Christmassy kind of person, really. Um, so, although we've always enjoyed Christmas, the three of us, um, before that, I was never really kind of into Christmas that much. So, I have to. It's a bit of a struggle for me, Christmas. Aww. And uh, when it comes to tree, I mean, we do all of the traditional things. You know, Sue always wants to have, a, you know, a proper tree. Mm-hmm. So that's we go hub. and spend, you know, I don't, Lord knows how much, 30 quid or more on, you know, on a, on a, on a tree. Whereas to me, I'd have an inflatable tree <laughs> if I could.
0: We're having a, a one that goes on the wall this year that's just lights, basically, in the shape of a tree. Oh, that's mm. very swish. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I well,
1: have it's... over 30 nativity sets. <laughs>
0: Of course you do <laughs>
1: i do yes, do. and I like the Lativity sets they 're a bit weird, and um, people keep sending me them because I you know profess to like them, and I do buy them as well when I see them on my travels you 're kind Yeah, so I've got all these nativity sets, which um, Drew keeps telling me that I'm not allowed to put out, but they're coming out. They're in storage, because there's too many of them to fit in our house. Um, It must
0: take you all of December just to set them up.
1: (laughs) I have. In the past, we we have, uh, my daughter and I, arranged them all in a kind of nativity conga on the dining room. We had a very large dining room table. Um, But there's more than there were then. Now, I shall get some photos. I do have photos already. I've got a
3: hilarious nativity set. I actually bought it from Bethlehem, but and that sounds very cool but oh, I, yeah.
0: that out. oh, <laughs> oh no. that's what I
3: was in Bethlehem however it's the it's the most hideous thing you've ever seen <laughs> <laughs> basically they had a showroom um, which you looked at, and then you said, yes, I'd, I'd like that one, please. And then they went out the back and got one, all boxed up ready for you. Uh-huh. And, uh, we got back on the coach and unwrapped it and it was nothing like the one they had. Got. <laughs> <laughs> it was like it had been hacked out of bolster wood or something. <laughs> nothing like a bit of Christmas fraud. <laughs> yeah. and, and Mary looks like you know, a bag of spanners, as Andy might say. <laughs> we love <laughs> laugh it. every year.
2: We went to Barcelona last year and for the first time, so sort of just before Christmas, and I'd never seen this sort of Catalan tradition. Have you seen this Catalan tradition of having these these little figures that you put out at Christmas time, where they're all sort of showing their asses?
0: Oh yes,
1: yes,
2: yeah. I've heard about that. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing. So you go to a you know a Christmas market, and there's stall after stall of these little figurines that are basically take, bending over, having a grab. And uh, <laughs> but you can get literally name a name a popular culture or real person, and you can get a copy. I mean, you can get, like, the Queen bending over, (laughs) having a a crap,
3: or... it's 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 not just showing the bottom, it is actually... No, 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 it is actually having...
2: Some some of them have a little (laughs) toilet.
3: Are they Christmasy at all? (laughs) No,
2: not at all. This is the weird thing, but, you know, but I was looking at this big stall full of these things, and there was Alex Salmond from the SMP, was one of the... (laughs) uh, (laughs) Really? (laughs) That that the strangest incredible. thing? Yes,
0: really strange. Well, I'm getting very nervous because this Sunday um, we, I'm going to my family get-together. That happens every year, the extended family, all, all of my mum's my side of the family. And we get together, and, and Lee will know how this is quite a traumatic experience for me. Um, I don't know whether he remembers, but we, we basically, a few years back, we were driving down there, and I hate doing this family gathering. It's, it's horrible. Every year I have to go through this pain. And so one year I was bitching and moaning on Twitter about it. And, I, you know, I was sending these tweets, oh, I've got to go to the oh, know, yes, break, I break, remember. Break. And so we started driving down there, and then we got stuck behind traffic. So I was bitching and moaning about that as well and how awful it was. Went on a bit further, and then the road was closed because it was raining. Right, and it had flooded, and so we, oh, you know, just moan on Twitter, moan moan. Got there eventually, uh, got to this Christmas party, and I was sitting in there, bored out of my skull, you know, wanting to go home. And so I I tweeted, um, you know, get me out of here, you know, in absolute desperation. And um, unfortunately, Twitter misplaced me. You know, when it it geolocates me and it geolocated me to the middle of a field (laughs) and some clever ass, one of my followers, put two and two together and got six. He saw that on the BBC News website, it was saying there's major flooding in in um, in Somerset, which is where I was going. Um, He saw me in the middle of a field, concluded that I was trapped or in trouble, and called the fire (laughs) brigade. So two fire engines spent the next, like, two hours going around Somerset trying to find me. (laughs) Eventually, eventually they got my telephone number from somewhere and rang me up absolutely irate at my fake call, which it wasn't my fault, and it cost me 50 quid to the Firefighters Benevolent Fund to get them (laughs) off my back. (laughs) <laughs> and the irony was at the time i was designing the firefighters benevolent fund website so there you go so as a result i'm terrified of christmas i didn't know you had to pay or did it was that yeah that was
3: purely yeah. voluntary or actually oh yeah
0: no 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 <laughs> yeah. i, I it was voluntary okay but they certainly guilted me into it excellent so there you go so that's so christmas terrible <laughs> hate it you,
2: you do more positive positive you enough. love christmas yeah, I do. You imagine true? you sitting there, surrounded by all the aunties and uncles, with the paper hat on your head. <laughs> <laughs> I into bought myself a Christmas sprouts.
0: jumper. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've bought myself a Christmas jumper this year. It's it's completely black, right? And it has written on the front "ho" with <laughs> a a th- um, three symbol, so "ho cubed," "ho ho ho." See, it's funny. No <laughs> one's going to get that. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's meant to get it. <laughs> anyway. So, what about Christmas presents? So, I bought my... I'm buying myself... This is how rock and roll my life is. I'm buying myself a Dyson heater for Christmas. That's that's my present to myself for Christmas. What are, the, what are you getting, Andy? Andy, I bet you're getting
2: apes. No, I've collected all the apes that I want to collect for the moment. So, I, you know, I don't actually really need anything yeah or... with
0: that christmas isn't about needing things it's when you buy yourself pointless gadgets ah, well in that case,
2: that... i'm gonna get myself a jaguar f-type and a, <laughs> uh, an omega Seamaster watch the james bond one the spectre limited edition
0: okay yeah how much does that cost
2: i think it's about six grand for the watch and about oh, well, that's fine. 70 for the car oh there you go that's fine so get you know, lose change one for you, one for the wife. Yeah, no, she wouldn't want one of those. She's more into an Aston.
0: Uh, okay, <laughs> we'll buy her an Aston then. Well, you know. I mean, you're, you're an internet celebrity leading web designer figure. You must be rolling in yeah, yeah, it. rolling hair, in it. I heard, yeah. yeah.
2: Rolling in it, yeah.
0: Exactly. There we go. What about Lee? Lee, uh, you constantly buy gadgets. What's your latest gadget that you want well, to
3: Well, the only time I ever play games is at Christmas. I haven't played a game for a long time. Yeah. I really like the Uncharted series, but you've, <gasps> but you've got to buy a new console to play that, haven't you? So, I might have to buy a, buy a PS4. Oh, and Uncharted 4 is brilliant. Just to play that, then I'll probably sell it. <laughs> <laughs> That's,
0: God. That's good enough. I play games quite a lot these days yeah. on my PS4. That's because yeah. you've got so much spare time, Paul. You know, you just, well, yeah. a bit of work here and there, don't you? Yeah. Occasionally, <laughs> when, when I can be bothered. <laughs> and Sam will be, be buying something cat-related.
4: Uh no no we got two choices so before we recorded I I mentioned my electric shower as a very exciting <laughs> present <laughs> that I'm hoping to get myself um but I have sort of something cooler which is I'm actually waiting for them to arrive they're called Quiet On uh, earplugs and they're essentially noise cancelling earplugs like so imagine you're sort of Bose type uh, yeah. technology but these are wireless and you just bung them in I'm really hoping to just block out the world really and oh no not an awful
2: lot cooler mate. <laughs> to be honest, what's it, a bit of peace and quiet is not rock and roll?
4: Oh, I know, I know. But you know what's going to happen? They're going to arrive. They're from Kickstarter, so they'll be broken yeah, <laughs> you know, quick. They'll fall apart and hear some well, buzz. You,
0: well, you won't get them for another six months at least. I've be
4: already been waiting. This is a very early Christmas present I gave myself. <laughs> so
0: let us know what they're like. Yes, I will do. Because in my experience, anything you buy from Kickstarter is shit. Yeah,
4: I've got, I, I'm not learning that lesson. There's something fun about it. I'm, you keep I'm, I'm not drawing. learning, yeah I do yeah, I yeah. see the videos, I know how they're made Rubber.
2: I actually got something that wasn't shit arrived in the mail this week from Kickstarter What's which that? was What's the that? Reproduction British Rail Corporate Identity Manual
0: God, you are so <laughs> rock and roll <laughs> And you had the audacity to accuse Sam of being done Exactly
2: I got very excited by the 1950s British Rail style guys
1: Fascinating
0: yeah, I'm really pleased for you, Rachel. What are you going to get? Please save us.
1: I've, I've, I've got no idea, actually. Um, I don't know. Uh...
0: Private jet. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so that's something airplane-related. I noticed that the um, tag on my on my suitcase has got all kind of. I had to buy a new suitcase because um, British Airways eventually destroyed the other one. It had, like <laughs> burn marks on it. I mean, what do they do to the things?
5: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, so anyway, I just, I've, I've got I've got a really swanky-looking suitcase now, and I've, I've put my I've I, I can't I can't remember what things look like. I'm completely non-visual as a person, right? So. To actually be able to identify my suitcase as it comes around the baggage thing, I need to put things all over it that I yeah. can remember what the name of it is. Um, so, like, I've got this orange baggage tag. Now, if the damn thing ever fell off my suitcase, I would never find my suitcase again. <laughs> you,
4: just, you just wait there until you're the only one left, right? Yeah, it's just going <laughs> round like, Oh, that. that must be mine, then. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, but anyways, so I've got this orange tag. It's all frayed. So, yeah, yes, so I, think, I think I need to... But it has to be another really? orange tag because because that I know it's an orange tag is on my car. You never
4: thought about putting one of the, like a tile in it or something and you can track it in bluetooth.
1: That yeah that would be that'd be good. Those tiles are quite good. That'd be a yeah. good idea. Well you could yeah, get
0: um- you can get even better ones now that, that are luggage specific, aren't they? That track you from airport. Oh to yeah, airport. they're
4: like a like, like a bit of a brick, though. But like they, they yeah, go but you around the yeah. inside. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that that'd be quite. No, that'd be quite cool. I like travel things. I like travel gadgets. That's always uh, that's always a, a good thing. Have you got any
3: noise cancelling headphones, Rachel? Just like, um, I'm selling some. You know.
1: <laughs> oh, I, yeah, I do. I, I don't. I don't tend to. I'm not too bothered about plane noise. I like, because yeah, because Drew wears noise cancelling headphones mm. when he flies um i'm I, not that fussed about noise as long as i can block out the light i can sleep it doesn't matter what chaos is occurring around me
3: you like the drone
1: <laughs> yeah. mind you I did notice cause i flew over here on a 747 and the flight before when i came from singapore was an a380 and the difference in noise on like the older planes compared to the new planes is is, is yeah. quite striking
4: um, yeah well rachel i saw that you tweeted about being on a seaplane though I went on a seaplane
1: like? yesterday. That was excellent. Ooh. So I, I get very, very excited about any f- form of transport, especially planes. And uh, we were in Vancouver, Drew and I, and we walked down to the harbour. And just as we arrived, a seaplane landed. I was oh, it's so cool, you know, seeing a seaplane land. And we went round the corner, and there's a whole seaplane airport. Wow. <laughs> wow a seaplane airport. <laughs> <That's fair. laughs> is there anything the, better? <laughs> honestly,
2: the lot of us were about as exciting as a 19th <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Rachel, how do you even know what sort of plane it is that you're getting on?
1: I don't... Because I know... I, I, I could tell you where the good seats are in, in, <laughs> all, the, in all the BA configurations.
2: Sam just <laughs> wants a little bit of peace and quiet.
1: I do, I Seen really do. Sitting in the corner
2: in his, muffler, in his
4: muffler. Leave me alone. All of you.
2: And there's me reading the British Rail Manual. I mean, it's just... <laughs> Honestly, and I thought Marcus was old. <laughs>
0: oh dear! I think I think it's time for us to move on because yeah. I th- it, this is getting quite pathetic.
4: As what it, a really?
2: fascinating podcast.
4: <laughs> that-
0: why, why did people ah, listen to this? It's the
4: Christmas one. It's meant to be a bit fun, right? There no, no,
0: next week's oh. the Christmas one. Oh, okay. this is the pre-Christmas one.
4: We'll wait till next week, people.
0: <laughs> I've no idea what we're going to do next week. I hadn't really considered that.
1: I think we should just drink. I think
0: at that point. <laughs> it might make us slightly more interesting.
1: Let's um, let's
0: quickly talk about our sponsors and then we will get on to discussion. Ooh, so, which sponsors sponsor
2: do we have this week, Paul?
0: we've got video blocks again because they've been supporting us through the whole season thank you for asking andy um they're an affordable subscription-based stock media site don't you know that offer unlimited access to premium stock footage um they've also got a sister site called audio blocks that unsurprisingly offers unlimited access to premium stock audio um really great value really good model actually so if you're um If you do any kind of video or audio work, the idea of having unlimited download is so useful because you could download different um, video or audio, you can try it out, see if you like it, if you don't, Nothing lost. You know, you you bought it and then committed yourself. So they've got a great selection with over 115,000 videos and 130,000 audio files. So you're going to be able to find footage, pretty much whatever it is that you're trying to to put together. Um, Their average subscriber ends up paying less than a dollar per download over a year because you end up downloading so much because you can. Um, It's a really good variety of high-quality audio and video. They're continually adding new stuff and you can you've got unrestricted access you can use it in any way you want they're doing a really nice little um offer for the listeners of the show where you get a year's subscription to both video blocks and audio blocks because really you're gonna you're gonna pretty much want both of those especially if you're doing video work because you're gonna want you know sound effects and background music etc um and all of that's only for 149 dollars for a year which is a hundred dollar discount on their usual price tag so it's almost half what they usually charge um you can find out more by going to videoblocks.com forward slash boag
5: 2016 oh. 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 oh.
0: Okay. Now, I, for the discussion, I want to do something um, a little bit different because um, – well, not a little bit different, but it's not going to seem directly related to a kind of our work to begin with, but I think that we'll get there. And it comes back to the fact that Rachel spends her whole life traveling because you're, you're – so you're Vancouver, aren't you, at the moment?
1: Currently in Vancouver for Kung Fu Conference, my last conference of the year. And you,
0: you tweeted something very interesting um, recently about – how being in a time zone that far away has kind of changed what you're seeing on social media and it got me thinking about filter bubbles so explain what you what you meant first of all
1: yeah so i was before i came here i was uh, so a week ago i was just traveling back from singapore i was in singapore for css conf asia Um, and also this year i've been in australia and and particularly those time zones, being in Australia or being in um, Singapore, you realise how much of the world is kind of asleep when we're awake in the in <clears> the sort of the. Uh, so I tend to deal with people who are in either UK and Europe or on the east coast of the states mostly, because mm-hmm. those are the time zones when I am up and working generally. If I if I'm sort of at home, um, at my desk, that those time zones I can kind of cover and. So when when you're somewhere like Singapore and so you're kind of eight hours in the future compared to to GMT Mm -hmm. and you tweet something, an entirely different bunch of responses come back from different people. Um, And, you know, so I I put out tweets about CSS stuff I'm working on or or what have you. And I'm seeing this very different community of people replying and also the things that you see when you're in that time zone are different. Mm. Um, And it kind of made me think, you know, how... You know, We often see at the west coast of the States as being quite insular, but you see, when you're in this time zone, I I mean I wake up early, I wake up, up I'm jet lagged as well, but I you know, I was I was online at five AM here this morning, um, which was, you know, one AM in the UK. Mm. So like half the day had gone. You know, <laughs> and if I'd woke if I was going to work at a normal time, pretty much the UK is winding down mm. by the time I'd get to work. And how much of a bubble does that cause, say, the west coast of the states to be in because they're not interacting with you know the u k and Europe perhaps and and certainly not with with places further east because they're just not online at the same time now that
0: that made me think of something quite interesting from your perspective in the business that you run i mean it's two two questions really one is do you um, your support that you offer mm-hmm. for perch um people. Is that nine to five UK time? What's what what's your do you have any kind of coverage outside of, you know It's pretty
1: much when we're awake. So yeah. I will answer I you know, I get up early so I'll answer stuff from five in the morning. Um so and we'll be answering stuff until like we go to bed. Um I would love to have support coverage. I think if we would if we was to take on someone to do support, I would probably try and take on someone who was, yeah, Singapore or in the mm. or in um or on the west coast of the states, or in Australia, because that would help us cover more of the mm. sort of global time zones. Mm. Um, I mean, for Perch, we're we're still mainly European, but we've got a you know there's quite a lot of American um, customers and Canadian customers, um, you know. So it it that is sort of spreading out, and we have people. We have lots of Australians who use Perch, and they kind of do get a slower response because they'll post stuff and. Often, you know, it will kind of go round to their next day before we can answer, just because of the time zones. Mm. Um, I and mean, I... we're we're pretty quick at answering support, so we try not to leave people any longer than than we absolutely have to, because like we're asleep. Um, you are yeah, allowed to idea. sleep,
0: Rachel. Yeah, I know. You, as I said before the show started, you are a bit of a machine, but you you are allowed to to sleep. It's gen-
1: generally annoying. I would I would quite like. I'm, I'm waiting for our kind of robot um, bodies where we don't need to sort of sleep and things. That would be good.
0: Yeah, I like my bed. It's something very. It's cosy and nice and safe. Here we go again. <laughs> but surely you work from bed every day, Paul, don't you? I do. Why is this, this <laughs> reputation I've got that I don't do anything? <laughs> it's grossly unfair. I work for a living. So you did not do anything? Of. I just said you did it from bed. <laughs> that is true. But I mean, it does raise. It, it, it's it's quite interesting. This this kind of. Idea. I'm what interested. Does any of you guys schedule posts and social media updates in advance or is it all just spontaneous? So in other words, are you sending stuff out at night? Yes. You do? Uh,
1: yeah, I, I use Buffer and I'm increasingly using that too. To put stuff, I and mean, we, you know, obviously for perch, but but also just personally, just you know, to put out things I'm working mm. on or or CSS questions I'm asking, um, as as part of the stuff I do, you know, the sort of CSS layout stuff, mm. um, because because I realise how much of the of the world kind of misses that that stuff when we're all awake at a certain time.
0: Yeah, I kind of I use Buffer as well, but actually my Buffer, but that I use it mainly just to spread out my ranting. Um, rather than it all coming in one go. Um, but I'm not very good at different time zones, which is sad because a big percentage of the listeners of this show are from Australia, actually. Mm. And I don't really ever get to talk to them very much online, which is a bit of a shame, mm. really. I
4: used to use buff myself when I was a bit more prolific on Twitter, and I definitely would schedule different times because I was my kind of mission was to get... Um, digital project management sort of recognised amongst the boring stuffy IT project management Mm -hmm. and also designers developers all over the world so I did find that if I when I first started and didn't schedule tweets um, I would just do it you know at whatever time I did it however when I would when I would schedule it for much later in the UK time I would then start getting responses from the US sometimes Mm Australia and I did notice I did notice, uh, and then I would spread them out across 24 hours just to see what what would happen. And it kind of, I wouldn't say that the numbers spiked as such, but I definitely got, if you look at the the geographics, definitely, without a doubt, was very different to if I was doing it myself. Mm. Andy, what about you?
2: Well, I don't really schedule much anymore because I haven't been sort of putting as much stuff out. But I had a question more than anything else, which is when you're traveling, as I mean, I've just spent six weeks in Australia. Mm. Um, I don't whether mentioned that in in the past, <laughs> but one of the things that I noticed was that because I I follow quite a lot of um, Australian designers and developers, so I would sort of pick up on their mood in a way. And mm. Australians, being Australians, tend to be very kind of optimistic. So I found Twitter to be quite a light hearted kind of place. Mm. Whereas you know when I'm over here you know particularly as I'm kind of cuz you know Sydney's like what 11 hours ahead of us here mm-hmm. so it's it's very much that what's happening in the UK or in Europe um or in the you know the west coast east coast of the states is you know it's basically off while Australians are up which is the interesting yeah. thing so it was a very kind of optimistic and happy twitter while I was there whereas when I come back particularly when the Americans wake up it's much more of a kind of a dismal place, you know, mm. bleating about how bad the world is. Um, so I did find that it was a it was a different place, and that was that was interesting.
0: Yeah, because it was interesting from our perspective as well. Because while you were away, Twitter was quite a positive, upbeat place. <laughs>
2: and then when you came back, <laughs> talking about Brexit, you know, it all got a bit miserable. Uh, well, I, maybe but... I should have scheduled my Brexit tweets to be when you were <laughs> awake. Or... Yeah. If only there was an app for that
0: so yeah I mean it is an interesting point but it kind of it moves on to something a little bit broader which is this idea of filter bubbles the fact mm-hmm. that you know we're kind of we're, we're being fed you know echoed back to us our own experiences whether that be in a geographical sense or whether it be that you naturally follow people that are of the same mindset and attitudes as, mm. as you um, and you know, this has come about partly because of the algorithms of things like Facebook, for example, which mm-hmm. which pushes in your face stuff that that it knows you will like. I mean, I'll give you. um But it also creates kind of interesting scenarios. So let's take YouTube, for example. YouTube looks at what you watch and uses that to recommend other stuff that you'd mm-hmm. like to watch right so as a result i don't get many pop videos posted to me because it's not the kind of thing i like so that, so there's a filter bubble being created there so the question is from a you talking about from a user experience design point of view you could you know one of the things we argue is that you give users what they want mm-hmm. right but if you give users what they want right so what they're already looking at you give them more of that you're creating a filter bubble around them so should mm-hmm. we as user experience designers be talk about giving people what they need rather than what they want and sometimes that is exposure to a broader set of stuff than they think mm-hmm. they want if that makes sense or could it even yeah. be the
4: opposite Go on slam. I definitely definitely know what you're talking about. Um wasn't even really aware of Echo Chambers or Filter Bubble until Brexit, if I to be honest. Um mm-hmm. and what I've been doing sort of quite recently is is following people on various sites that that I wouldn't normally, and some of them actually, you know, make me angry just to see mm-hmm. what the difference is.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: And it's been interesting, I have to say. So I found myself uh, my, my mindset is changing i can't quite articulate how but it's definitely changing from when it was just coming all back to me so one thing i thought was like on youtube if you're watching um you know uh, videos of a particular say political persuasion i wonder if there's a case where just to to break this this filter bubble world we're in at the moment if perhaps you would i don't know how you would do it. you couldn't force it but you could perhaps offer options to see the the opposing views you know, it's mm-hmm. an—I don't know—something like that would, is what I've done manually, and it's actually it's doing something to how I'm thinking right now, which I think is yeah. the point. I
1: mm-hmm. think it's—it's it's interesting. I think we've realized. I think as an industry, we're starting to realize with things that have happened recently that we actually have quite a lot of power over mm-hmm. what people think,
5: mm-hmm.
1: and that you know any of us individually could be asked to to work on something, which kind of you know could essentially hand hand power to to the wrong sort of people or, or could it certainly change the the way that something pans out? Because we actually, you know, if if we're working on any of these kind of projects, we've actually got quite a lot of power in terms mm-hmm. of those algorithms about what people see. And I, I don't think that anyone doing that stuff really thinks that through. I don't no. think they did until now. I think that people are starting to realize now that, that there's an awful lot of power in being able to show people things. If you want to um, see um,
4: a really yeah. really good talk about that, there's Mike Monterio's "How Designers Destroyed the World." Um, that the the entire talk is about really making you focus on the, the power that you as a designer in that case have, and he gives some really really um, stark example, real life examples of where people's lives have been damaged because of someone just saying yes and yes and yes up the chain. So, can
0: you yeah. can you give me an example? Can you remember any of them?
4: Um, I think there was the, the example. The biggest example he used was to do with face, someone working at Facebook, and it was to do with privacy settings um, and someone's sexuality. And I think that it's basically Facebook made a change. They made a change that, that might have seemed quite small to whoever was involved in the change, but it actually uh, made some of this person's uh, uh, information public rather than private. I think that was the gist of it. And what he was really saying was, um, you know... It, <laughs> Think about, think about what you're doing. You know, there's so many, It only takes you know three or four people in some cases to say, "Oh, okay, then I'll do it." And suddenly, you've you've damaged people and the world. It's it is quite. It's a, honestly really watch that talk. It's a it's a really um really humble you. Mm.
1: Yeah, I think on a, a similar note is um the the um talk that Eric Meyer's been doing. I think there's now a video of it that was his um event part talk. You know about the, the way that we can sort of design for the extremes, uh, the sort yeah. of extreme situations people find themselves in, um, and sort of helping people in in those difficult kind of situations. I think there's there's a whole load of stuff that that we don't realise we actually have the power to to impact really, um, mm. so and that anyone, anyone could be asked to do, just as part of their job.
4: I was going to say it's quite difficult though, because at the end of the day, someone's making that decision probably because they think it will make money, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so the, the person who's making that decision is not going to be thinking along the lines we are. And this was kind of the, the, the bit of the talk was, you know, having the, the courage to, to say no. I mean, that could end in mm. in all sorts of bad ways, I guess. But, but it's, a, it's definitely something that since Brexit, I have to admit, since then, it's really been at the top of my mind.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think, yeah, and, and this this kind of bubble of, of, you know, of not being aware perhaps of the rest of the world and, and so on. I think particularly if you think of the kind of Silicon Valley area and that, that sort of West Coast mm. There is a real echo chamber, I think and you feel it when you are on this coast, and it is a lot of it, I think, is just time zone related. You know, you don't hear the voices from other parts of the world as much. Mm. Um, and so, you know, it can be quite easy to think, and I think, you know, a lot of those people are very young um, and have got, you know, have got a limited life experience compared to someone who's older. You know, so they're you know, creating a world which is which works very very well for young people living on the west coast of America. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you yeah. know, and 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 the decisions that they're making are, are based on them being young people who live in the west coast of America and who've got disposable income and and you know mm-hmm. don't maybe don't have a yeah. lot of responsibilities. I mean, that's they're the that's, kind of you know, people who are writing
3: the algorithms for Facebook's news feed and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, so that, exactly. that's the kind of endemic problem underlying things, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, it, was, it, it was really driven home for me recently
0: um, when I went to India. I'm as bad as Andy in Australia, aren't I? But experiencing, you know, that really opened my eyes to. Uh, you know little design decisions that we all make all of the time and how annoying it was i mean i was working i was out there and and simon who, who um ran the project that i was working at came back it came back home and i was sitting around it he was like really frustrated and worked out he said i've been trying to sort out a visa for one of our workers all day and i'm just the website is driving me nuts it's you know and and so I said I'd help him, you know, with the website. And so, so I was going through this application form and stuff like that. And, and setting aside all the bad design problems and all of the other issues that were there, just the fact that I was on such a poor connection, um, you know, it made the whole process incredibly frustrating. And, and although I knew intellectually that there are people in the world that are on really shit, poor connections, until... I I was trying to do this and this thing that should have taken five minutes took over an hour. Mm. I didn't emotionally connect to it. And I think that's a big part of this as well. It's it's not just, you know, if you spoke to someone in Silicon Valley or if Mm. there's people in Silicon Valley that are listening to this now and they're thinking, yeah, well, I know that I live in a a bubble. You know, I'm aware of that and, and what the Valley's like. And, you know, there's one thing to be aware of it, And there's another thing to feel it. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, I mean, it's the same with all all kinds of things like accessibility and stuff, you know, until Mm. you've experienced... Being in some way disabled, for instance. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, you know, like when I when I shattered my arm, and I was completely one-handed for for a good period of time, and I still, you know, I still use a lot of the accessibility controls on on my computer. Um, you suddenly realise, oh, you know, that this is this is this is what this is like, you know. And mm-hmm. I've always cared about accessibility, um, but I was, you know, fortunate enough, and I'm still, you know, very fortunate that that other than than one slightly dodgy arm, I'm, I'm pretty all able to do all the things i want to do but you know it makes you realize i think you know when you when you actually run into that situation you're like oh this is what it's like and it's a real struggle and yeah how how do we make this better for people because actually you know we all end up in those situations at some point
0: point. and it does raise an interesting question mine which is that what should we be aiming for so somebody a minute ago said, um, I, I don't know whether it was you, Rachel or Sam, but one of you said, you know, the danger is here that, you know, the, the, the decisions that we make may end up, you know, uh, put, p- giving too much highlight to one audience over another you know, that some bad people might get into power, I think was the, the mm-hmm. example was used. So the question is, is it for us? to make those kinds of decisions? Or should we be aiming for impartiality in all of this?
1: Well, I think if we're put in the position where we're asked to, for one, I think then, you know, there has to be, I think it's about being aware that you could well be in that situation and not just a kind of sleepwalk into doing that without thinking it through, yeah. Um, it's it's not you know i think there's there's obviously a moral decision to be made by individuals or by companies as to what they're going to do i think that's a different thing i think what i'm what's most interesting is the fact that i think most of the time these decisions are made by people who you know then they've not even considered the moral question absolutely. it's just like oh you know oh from a business point of view this would be really great if we put this you know if we give these people more of what they want to see they'll click on more ads whatever um, so let's do it. It's, it's going to be good for business, and mm-hmm. it's quite likely that no one, certainly not you know, an individual engineer, perhaps working on that, but you know, didn't even think. Oh, but what if this then causes this bubble, which causes this tap, which mm-hmm. causes, you know, it's it's it's. I think it's being aware of it, so that when those questions are asked of you, well, or when you know a, a job comes in that is do this, you think, hang on, you know, actually, is is there a moral decision to be made here, and which side of this do I want to be on? Mm-hmm not just sleepwalking into doing yeah. it because, oh, well, that's my job to write this code that does this.
4: The sleepwalking bit for me is the key. It's actually yeah. given it that thought. I mean, from, from watching Mike's talk, that, that's, that's what it left me with. You know, you watch so many talks and you forget all the details, but you're left with that primary message. That was, that was what it did to me because I'd kind of done a similar talk from a project management point of view because it's, it's no different. It struck me that it, each, each and every one of us, no matter what role we do, Essentially, we're part of some kind of change, so, as a project manager, mm. I, I actually was able to think back to decisions I'd made. I had slept walked into it, and it did cause mm. issues, you know, and it really it's, it does, it does flip it slightly, so every time something comes in now, you just it, it almost is a subconscious processing now and, yeah yeah
0: uh, Andy, uh, in your situation as someone that's actually running an agency or a business, have you actually turned away work on moral grounds that you feel it's inappropriate?
2: Yeah, we're slightly straying away from the whole time zone. Yeah, I know we are, but, but, that's, but that's fine. No, um, we have had for many, many years, and it's at the bottom of our website. If anybody wants to go and take a look at it, we have had a ethical and political policy. Oh, which um, is literally it's at the bottom in our footer. It says ethical statement and. We have certain things that we like to do and certain things that we just won't do. So we will offer uh, reduced rates for charities, for example, and we'll offer reduced rates for, you know, working organizations, but we won't work for anybody that supplies the military, for example. Okay. Um, And, you know, I've been a long term, long, you know, for all of my life, I've been an anti-war protester, um, particularly when it came to nuclear disarmament. And... I would not want to work on a project where that company was you know taking the, the bulk of their money from supplying the military for example mm-hmm. um, and this has this has been good for us um, we've actually won work because of it you know mm-hmm. there was a, a few years ago when I did a big project with new internationalist magazine um, and they were really keen on the fact that we'd got this policy on the website in mm-hmm. fact wWF the, the Work that we did, uh, Tailender last year, early part of this year, again that was a big part about why they chose us was because you know we we don't want to work for you know organisations that we might find objectionable. Mm. So uh, that's that's been quite good for us. There's been a couple of occasions where people have turned around and said you know, no, actually, you know, we've just spotted this thing on your website and therefore please don't come in and see us. Um, but, you know, that's kind of a filter, you know, it's self-selecting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I feel quite happy about that. I mean, I've changed the tone of it over recent years. I've I've, I've turned it into a, a more positive, this is what we want to do, rather mm-hmm. than this is what we don't do, because I didn't mm-hmm. want to make it sound too judgmental. Mm. But I think it's important. Um, yeah. And you know, I'm, I'm more than happy to kind of have that on the website because you know, if you're putting something about yourself into a design, which I think is you know incredibly important, then you know your values need to go in there as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, I would absolutely agree with that.
2: Okay, let's um, let's shift um
0: gear because i do want to we the last couple of weeks we've only managed to cover one topic and i do want to cover another one today if we can which is um sam you you had a an interesting dilemma that that was worth discussing
4: yeah, so I I reached out to the um, digital project management community to see what kind of talks, uh, sorry, what kind of topics they they would like to hear on a podcast like this, and got got a few good suggestions. But overwhelmingly, I think one of the, one of the biggest ones I got was um, how do you go about convincing uh, clients to switch from whatever they're working to agile, an agile way of working. Um, and I know that we we've kind of delved into this briefly, I think in, previ- in a previous season. Um, I think we had Holly Davis talking about the agency she worked at at the time. They would get a, get a client comfortable with the, the concept of it by converting um, client budgets from time to points. Um, the client only pays for points completed. Brett Harnard, on the other hand, says that one of the problems he's had and one of the, the, the issues he personally has is the, the time that uh, you assume the client has to, to um, get involved in this process. Um, and sometimes mm-hmm. it's just not there. And myself, um, I talked about how to sort of how I would sell Agile, but you know it's it's really tricky because if i if i put my client how on and i have been a client in many respects um i really can understand even today when to us it seems like you know perhaps an obvious thing to do or something's been going on for a while um it seems like people don't really think about how how difficult it is to get your head around agile as a client compared to the traditional way of working
0: yeah
2: yeah no that makes sense
4: so I, yeah how do people do it should you do it you know
2: I've been talking about this with clients for a while because as a micro studio, we always used to get ourselves into a real pickle when it came to scheduling. Because, you know, quite often you'd have jobs that would overrun or, you know, things would collide in the calendar. Mm. And it was a, a nightmare. Scheduling was one of our biggest issues. So what we decided to do was to start working on a weekly billing schedule. So we'd say to a client, right, we're going to work with you for these specific weeks and we're going to charge you X amount per week. And that was very good for us. But one of the things that it kind of encouraged was that it encouraged more of a kind of a sprint-based approach to the, to the work.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: So we'd
0: be able so,
4: to...
2: I, sorry, Andy. I, I just... I want to understand that
0: make sure I'm understanding this correctly. You're saying that you moved away from charging for deliverables to charging for time. Is that what you're saying
2: yeah well it's still it's still tied to deliverables, but what we do is we say to we when we're billing a when we're charging up a job estimating a job, we'll say right, we think it's going to take let's say six weeks. And you Mm -hmm. know, week one we're going to do one thing. Week two we're going to do something else. Okay. So it is kind of deliverable based, but what we're doing is we're breaking it down into into those weeks. And it just thought to it occurred to me that these were kind of quite like agile sprint periods, Mm -hmm. and clients actually really could understand that. They Mm -hmm. liked the idea that they'd be working on something intensively for a particular period of time, and that it helped us because they'd be able to get all of those collateral bits and pieces ready for when we were about to start that you know that part of the project or that sprint but we never really called it agile you know mm. there may be elements of agile in there you know we'd want to have regular conversations with the clients you know on every morning for 15 minutes or so but we wouldn't necessarily think about it in terms of a of a stand up and mm. I've got no bloody clue what a Kanban board
4: is. <laughs> no, but I mean, I, I completely has. I completely agree. That's why, put, like, there's a difference between, you know, Agile with a capital A or an Agile way of working. And I think the more that I've been through those conversations, the more I'm, I'm, if for want of a better word, selling Agile with a, a small a, you know, just a, whatever works. I and mean, it always seems to be the stock answer, but that really is the answer, in my experience. Well,
0: I'm interested, just to delve in a little bit more to what, Andy yeah. does. So a couple of questions there, Andy. What happens if um, you overrun? So what if something takes longer than you'd planned for? Is that Are you still offering a fixed-price solution, or would they end up paying more if they overran?
2: Uh, very rarely do we overrun.
0: Oh, right. Okay.
2: Now, we might go over for a day or two, and I don't watch the clock. If right situations and you know I'm my, I'm my worst enemy when it comes for not wanting to stop working on a job until I'm one hundred percent happy with it the number of times that I've got halfway through a week and not liked what we've come up with you know we haven't even shown the client at this stage but I've not been happy with it and I've thrown it all out and we've mm. started again so there will be occasions where we'll run you know a few days over but one of the things that I like to do with this particular way of working is we'll sort of set a general theme for the week rather than a specific set of... I don't know. You know when people used to do um, like, what do they call them? Technical specifications. Yeah. You know, you'd nail everything down in a document before you started working. Now... That's very costly from a small business point of view. Uh,
0: yeah, that's that was going to be my second question. Actually, which it sounds incru- like there's a lot of upfront work.
2: <laughs> which, whereas actually, what we do is we just say to a client, right, we're going to work on the homepage this week. We're going to work on the, you know, the shopping cart right. pages the next week, and it's it's much much looser. Now we'll put a rough a rough specification together. Um, but the documentation is intentionally loose. And then if the client turns around and says, ah, I've had this brilliant idea, we've kept it flexible enough that if we think we can do it within that week, then we will Mm -hmm. do. But -hmm. if we turn around to them and say, do you know what? That's going to take us like, you know, almost another week. We'll roll that into another sprint week. Mm -hmm. And obviously they know that a sprint week costs, you know, four or 5,000 pounds. Mm. Well, All of a sudden, sometimes their great idea isn't a great idea anymore Mm -hmm. because they don't want to pay for it. Yeah. And if Mm -hmm. they do, then that's better for us because, you know, we just, you know, we we commit to more work.
4: So. I like. Sorry, sorry.
2: Sam, go
0: on, go ahead. I was just going
4: to ask Andy, uh, so how how do you get the client on board with that in the first place? I mean, obviously, there are there are clients that have, especially now, that have, have heard of it or worked with other people that use it. It's a, it's, it can be slightly easier. But I'm thinking about that difficult case that so many agencies out there face that are probably on the smaller end and don't have, like, um, uh, existing relationships or big accounts. Uh, talking to a, another small business owner, perhaps, you know, they've got a finite amount of money, all the, all the usual constraints. How do you get someone... I mean, I, I know what the advantages are, but is there is there any... Do you just tell them flat out and, well, they're, and they, yeah. they're on board? And...
0: I, I yeah. think there's – sorry to interrupt, Andy. I'm sure you're uh, capable of answering your own question, but uh, <laughs> to interrupt anyway. Um, uh, to me, I don't think you have the normal problems with Agile, Sam, mm-hmm. that you would have. Because the normal big problem from a client's perspective with Agile, with a capital A, mm-hmm. is is that we're going to do a series of sprints. You pay for sprints. Yep. Um, rather than for the deliverable, mm-hmm. and so in theory, if you end up with, you know, if a sprint, you've got no, you've got no finite deliverable for a finite cost, sure. which is always clients' big fears mm-hmm. with digital. But what Andy has just described is he is giving a fixed cost for a fixed project. Now, yeah, there's a bit of looseness into exactly how that's going to work, but to be honest, clients are okay in my experience with that. So. So he's kind of sneaking in Agile with – he's compromising Agile with a big A to enable yeah. us you know, to still offer a fixed price. Is that about
2: right, Andy? No, yeah, it is about right because, you know, small business in North Wales comes along. and I mean, we don't work for small, small businesses, but, you know, reasonable business comes along. Let's argue that they've got, I don't know, let's say a £15,000 budget. So you know, not a massive amount, but a decent thing, if you can actually work on it and keep the time down so that you can still make a profit as as us as a business. So you'd say to them, okay, well, we think this job's going to take four weeks. We're going to work on it so that in week one we work on kind of design concepts, design principles. We do all of the research and we get to know you, and we you know we do all that kind of preliminary stuff. We start kind of making some design concepts up. Week two is going to be more about how the thing actually works. Week three is going to be about turning that stuff into HTML and CSS prototypes so that we can actually, you know, you can test things on devices and get all mm. responsive. And week four is going to be about integrating it with Perch. And they mm. go, so it's sensible to me. Now you know most web designers, most small companies of our size, if they 're building website for client, that could take them three months mm-hmm. you know from a from a a client signing up to actually getting something online with us. It takes four weeks because we 're focusing just on that one client at one time, and yeah when you 've got three or four people that are doing that, you get it done really quickly
0: yeah and there 's a, a huge advantage as well is that as Lee, I'm sure, will have testified, working on one project at a time yeah. is a hell of a lot better, isn't it? Yeah. The
2: other thing, in terms of cash flow, this is the last thing that I'll, I'll recommend to people, is that we charge one week in advance. Ah. Because, you know, what do most people do? They charge, what, a 50% deposit and then the balance on completion. When the mm. hell is completion? Four months later, mm. when yeah. the client's decided that they're going to write the copy to put into the templates that you finished three months ago. Yeah. So actually, if, you, if you're doing what we do and you charge people just a week in advance, then A, it keeps the, you know, the, the financials a, a lot simpler, but also it's great for positive cash flow. Mm. Nobody ever owes us any money. And also
0: great for, for the client in some ways as well because it's spreading payment instead yeah. of having to pay it all in one big lump sum up front. Sorry, Lee, you were going to say something. No, I was just
3: going to add that I, th- I think the problem that I've always found with Agile even with the lowercase a, is that the client doesn't work in an agile way and the decision-making process doesn't work yeah. in an agile way. Yeah. But people up the chain aren't part of the process and they have to get sign-off and that can be an unknown quantity. And that's usually what holds the process up. So we've had cases where daily stand-ups have ended up becoming weekly and then something hasn't happened, someone hasn't signed something on and then the, everything's stalled for a few weeks whilst that person gets tied down sort of university kind of jobs um, Mm. where where there's a massive organisation and structures and in all, you know, the best will in the world of Agile, um, their institution doesn't work like that.
4: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's kind of where I was coming from. I think my experience is it's always something else that's that's the issue. Uh, With me, it was... um, really how how funding's done and how payments done and they didn't have the flexibility to to pay when they wanted as such they needed very strict things in terms of like corporate governance to, to get it signed off and that required x y and z you know perhaps a specification or something like that yeah so yeah and
0: that's yeah and that's where things begin to snowball which is kind of almost what's happened with my career in a sense that you know i started off as a, a designer yeah hands-on designer and then you know you start coming across barriers uh, in terms of, well, this isn't, you know, we, we can't do the best thing because of some organizational issue. And before you know it, you're kind of, you're trying to deal with the change management of the whole organization. So there are, I think in truth, agile is a radical different way of working. And it doesn't for, for a lot of organizations, it's diametrically opposed to how they're set up and how they're organized. So the only way that you can effectively run Agile with a big A within an organization is if you can isolate it from yeah. the rest of the organization. Mm-hmm. So you've got access to the key decision maker um, who has their own budget. That um and you know you, you don 't have a large number of stakeholders involved then then by all means, go ahead and do agile with a big A, but beyond that, I think there is going to be compromise there is going to be the need for flexibility in the way you work mm-hmm. or um in an ideal world you start addressing some of those larger organisational issues yeah. you know and not just blindly accepting well why does procurement want to work in this way mm-hmm. you know where does that come from why can't that be changed and to start addressing those but then you're opening up a big can <laughs> yes, of worms yes. and you're talking about you know that's the kind of stuff that I do these yeah, days you can yeah. try and change the
3: organisation itself uh, yeah. to suit yeah. the process
0: yeah. and that that takes years and years yeah. and, and, and is almost a generational thing so and, and, and it is, by a happy um, circumstance, the topic of my next book that's coming out. Is it really, Paul? Oh, it's yeah, interesting, it's, isn't it? Look, look at how subtly <laughs> I did that. If you want to know more about that book, there will be a link in the show notes. Just saying.
1: <laughs> All
0: right. So um, let's, let's wrap up at that point because we're running out of time. And we want to uh, look at Vivaldi. Um, they've been doing a great job. They've done my job for me that they've, they've done their own little ad slot that we just drop in. And they talk about how great their product is. Um, uh, so here is what they want to say about their browser today.
5: Hey, everyone. It's Molly here from Developer Relations at Vivaldi Browser, vivaldi.com. You might remember me from the bad old days of the web browser wars, the Web Standards Project, and maybe you might have read a book or two. I've spent my career advocating for a free and open web that puts people first, whether it be through the user experience, accessibility, and most passionately and notably, to ensure that browsers implement the things we want and need. I also spent many years as an invited expert to the W3C, especially in the CSS working group. This is why I cannot imagine being anywhere else than here at Vivaldi Browser, and here's why. Our interface is being built using HTML, CSS, SVG, JavaScript, and open web technologies, making it super easy for any of us with these common core skills to turn it into a powerful driver of our websites, our applications, and even extended technologies as we move forward into the Internet of Things and a brave new world. Here's the important message, though. We're here for you. We are you. We are a small group of passionate people with the leadership and resources to make something awesome and lasting for and with this industry, to embrace the best practices of inclusive design and user-first ideologies. So please, download our recent 1.5 release at Vivaldi.com and let me, let us all know how we can grow better together.
0: Yeah, thank you, uh, Vivaldi. It is a very cool browser. It's definitely worth checking out if you haven't already checked it out. Um, it's nice to have variety um, in the in the field these days. There was a time when we all used to be slightly afraid of having multiple browsers. The more browsers that came along meant the more testing and the more um, of a nightmare and browser wars and all that kind of stuff. But these days, as long as it's a nice compliant browser, which Vivaldi is, then you're good and dandy but it's um it's got some really nice features you can find out more about it at boag.world forward slash better browser okay so that about wraps it up for this week um where's the best place to find out about all you lovely spangly guys andy what about you where are you where are you hang on don't we get a joke this week yeah
3: yeah i, I found a bad joke for you
0: bro. oh thank goodness for that i, I was I
3: giggled bad jokes and okay <laughs>
0: Well, I suddenly realized that I, just as I started to say that, Marcus isn't with us, so we don't uh, have a bad joke. This but, is but,
3: equally as bad as anything Marcus could come up with. I've actually run it past him, and I think it, <laughs> I think it meets the mark. It's got approval got, Good. Yeah.
0: Marcus approved. yeah
3: I like it. Go for it Love well, two actually, so I'm going to decide which one. Let's do that one. How many tickles does it take to make an octopus laugh? Go on. Ten, 10 tickles. <laughs>
0: Oh, oh no. my god! That is awful. god I'm, I've
3: got to, I've got to have the other one as well. What did the poorly chickpea say?
0: Uh
3: huh. I falafel. I falafel. No, oh, that's reaching. That <laughs> one. I'm going to stop coming really on really this thing. There, so there was,
0: there was a good one in the um, Slack channel that was a, uh, 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 a designer one. It's if you removed a statue of an angel from a fountain, would you be left with a San Serif font?
2: Uh, I never thought that I would pine for Marcus. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, you
0: do better than Mr. Clark.
2: No, I haven't got a joke up at the moment. Quick. Yeah. Do
0: you think of a joke. I think next week we all ought to bring a joke. Because it's the Christmas show. Nice. Okay. I like that. Does it have all to right? be a Christmas joke? No, no, it can be any joke you want. But a cracker joke.
1: Uh, we'll, have to, we'll have to all, like, you know, pull a joke out very carefully out of a cracker. that we we, <laughs> we, <laughs> <laughs> no, we put it no, back in. <laughs> how tight are
0: you, Rachel? You're not even willing to use a whole
1: cracker on this no, show. You can't use crackers before Christmas. That's I don't know. something bad happens.
0: It's criminal, is it? <laughs> We need to come up with what we're going to do on next week's show. I feel like it needs to be a bit different, but I haven't got a clue at the moment. So we'll talk about that after we wrap <laughs> up. But let's, let's wrap up. Um, Andy, where can people find out about you? Uh, people can
2: find out about me at stuffandnonsense.co.uk. And I am at
1: Malarkey on Twitter. And Rachel? I'm at Rachel Andrew on Twitter. And I usually reply unless I'm actually in a plane at the time. And I am rachelandrew.co.uk on the web.
0: And not Marcus, otherwise known as Lee. Uh, headscape.co.uk or Lee on Twitter. Have you? I'm surprised you didn't push your own personal website. Is uh, it in mid redesign? Nothing like interesting
3: it? on there. You don't want to go there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh,
0: normally, Marcus. Uh, sorry, Lee's got this this thing where he basically periodically redesigns his website, but never puts content on it.
3: No, well, it's <laughs> something exciting bit redesigning it, but actually maintaining and putting things on it, it's the boring bit isn't it I've got to mention Headscape anyway because this is as we established last week Headscape's only marketing channel so you know. yes that's it isn't it yeah well,
2: wait a minute I, you actually listen to this crap when you're not on it <laughs> I
3: do <actually>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I listen, I'm indiscriminate with podcasts what can I say well also
0: also it is written into the contract of anybody at Headscape that they have to listen to it like, you
4: know You've got to consider that. Sam, what about you? i uh, um, on Twitter at the Sam Barnes, and my website is com.
0: There's now a lot of people wondering whether it really is written into Headscape's contracts. I've you, never read it. it no, I wouldn't know. <laughs> no, neither it <laughs> <am> I. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Right, okay. Um, I just want to, talking to Christmas, I do just want to remind people that we're running a Christmas appeal at the moment where we're trying to encourage people. Instead of sending Christmas cards, especially um, if you you run an agency and you end up sending loads of Christmas cards to clients, instead of that, um, to donate the uh, money to a charity that that, um, I visited recently in India um, and send your clients an email instead. I've even produced email templates for you to to send out to clients because I know how damn lazy you all are. You can find out more about that at boag.world forward slash xmas. Um, I would really appreciate it if you could donate anything, either personally or as an agency. That would be wonderful. Thank you very much for listening, and join us again next week for the last show of the season, which is going to be an extra special Christmas one. Yes, you don't know how yet. Yes, maybe I don't. See you next week. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye.
3: Bye.
1: Bye.
5: Oh.